Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, what's up? We're back. Alternative Facts Podcast. My name is Chris Payne. I'm your host. I'm a staff writer at Billboard host this podcast each and every week, and this is the first episode of 2018. New year, new episode, new me. If you're not familiar with the show, we cover really all subgenres, all inner worlds of that rock and alternative universe. We talk rock, punk, metal, indie, indie pop, experimental shit, kind of all over the place, but I think we keep it together. And I've been doing this podcast for a few years now at Billboard, excited to do it this coming year. And it's going to be every Thursday, weekly podcast, like last year. We took a little bit of time off for the holidays, haven't been with this since maybe just before Christmas, but we're back, we're doing it every week now. This year, going to be focused on one big interview per episode, a deep interview, a long-form interview, hopefully an interesting interview. And uh, last year, you know... Similar to that, some of the episodes had different interviews in the same episode. We dipped into news more and chart conversations, some quick hits, some back and forth in the same episode. This year, one good interview per episode is pretty much how it's going to be, usually spotlighted on a musician. So this first one, I think, is a good one to kick off the year with because this musician drops a new album on the first day of 2018. It was a surprise release. Jeff Rosenstock, that's his name put out an album called Post on New Year's Day. It's awesome. It sits well, sits really nicely next to the previous album called Worry that he released in 2016. Jeff's not new, though. He's been at this for a while. He's 35 years old, been releasing music since the mid-'90s. Recently, in this decade, the 2010s, he's been releasing music under his own name as Jeff Rosenstock, but he's been in plenty of bands before that. Most recently, one called Bomb the Music Industry, which maybe you're familiar with, probably you're familiar with if you're listening to this episode. Ah, but we, we went back, we went far back, we talked about this big spike in attention that he's been getting recently with his solo music, playing bigger festivals and doing fancy shit, what that's been like. Um... What else did we talk about? We talked about how he's gotten to work with some of his heroes, musical punk heroes, and and a production role. Aside from releasing his own music, he's a producer. Specifically, we talked about what it was like to produce Dan from Alkaline Trio, someone both of us have been into for a long time. We connected on that. Uh, One thing that's really interesting about Jeff, which I discovered in this episode, is how he's really... He's seen the internet, he's seen the music internet through from the beginning. He's been releasing music long enough that he's really seen every era of 
social media assisted music from mp3.com and pure volume to myspace to now bandcamp which played a big role in releasing his new album and you know what what i really try to do with these episodes is uh have stuff for the heads for the old fans for people who want to really dig deep with these artists but also have introductory stuff to give you a window into their world if you've really never heard of the music before and i think There's a lot, a lot of inspirational stuff with Jeff that I think you'll find interesting, even if you've never heard of him before. So where this convo starts, we're talking about how he's scoring music for a new Adult Swim series called Craig of the Creek. We're going to jump right in chatting about that. Playing you in is USA, the first track from his new album. Enjoy. Dogs out and down, trodden and dejected. Crestfallen, grief-stricken and exhausted. Trapped in my room while the house was burning to the motherfucking ground. Yeah, I could talk about the cartoon stuff. Cool, yeah, because yeah. I mean, like, it's. Not... I love talking about the cartoon. Yeah. I've been fucking doing it like by myself in a tiny room, just like. Ah! So yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. So um, and yeah, tell the people about what you're at right now with uh, the Cartoon Network project about the show. Okay, so there's a show called Craig of the Creek, which is common in 2018. It's two of the writers from Steven Universe. What I, from what I could tell, it's a handful of like the people who worked on. Steven Universe and Adventure Time. Like, I know it's the same producer as Adventure Time. I know that because when I got an email from Kelly Cruz from the first, I was like, oh, shit, I know who that is. This is sick. Um, and, yeah, I'm, like, I'm up to episode six now. And I'm, I I just made, like, I just had to make sad music for a sad thing that happens. I didn't just, like, that's something that happens in this episode. I made something that, like, is, like, fucking sad it like it like bummed me out like up until probably probably will continue to until i deliver the episode like we're just like oh man uh so yeah it's fun so i'm just like yeah making tunes trying to stretch outside of the stuff i normally do and also putting a lot of ska in there because that's what they want and that's fucking sick because uh i don't know it's neat to like it's neat to still be making ska music because it was super important to me when I was a kid until now, you know? Yeah, and you know that they did their homework in reaching out to you. Oh, yeah. Well, the dude who reached out to me, like Ben, like he saw Bond the Music Industry at a house show in 2007 or 2008 or something. So okay. that's kind of how he found out that I was a person doing stuff. And I guess he just kind of kept moving up at Cartoon Network because he's smart and good and funny and... uh like uh he hit me up about doing music for the pilot and i was just like like i couldn't get to the phone fast enough to just be like yes yes please uh-huh uh-huh uh and i feel like every email i said to anybody there just always was like thanks thanks for letting me do this because i'm just pumped to be doing it it's really fun it's kind of like you know there's not um it's really fun it's something i've always wanted to do and also like you know I don't know how much, I don't know if my body is going to be able to deal with fucking touring like when I'm 50 years old. And I still like, I've tried to, I like, I've had bands break up and I've stopped making music and I still always end up coming back to music. So it's really fun to have something to do that is not, uh, that's just kind of the music part of it, you know, and isn't like, uh, 
so that doesn't like take over everything in my life. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. You're not about to go tour behind and do a press cycle behind this Cartoon Network music. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like, yeah, and which, by the way, which all that stuff is fun, but it's like, you know, um, there's only so much of any of anything that's kind of like constantly moving that you could do before one before either it drives you completely insane because you're just bouncing all over the place or it becomes routine and then it's like where's the fun in it you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. i feel like there's such a fine line uh which i and i i guess i'd include press stuff with that but like in touring specifically of like you know holding on to like that chaos of like your first days in the van uh and trying to keep it keep having that because if you don't have that it's not like it's i like it it seems cliche to say like if you don't have that man then why are you doing it but like if you don't have it then i feel like you're missing like one of the best parts of touring which is that like the uncertainty sure. of what's going to happen you know um but then like so much uncertainty you're just like, oh, God, I have no idea what's happening. This is my life, you know? Yeah, what, what you're talking about, it makes me think of, we we talked a, a couple of years back for a Billboards.com mm-hmm. thing about when you were playing all five boroughs in 24 hours, yeah. all five New York City boroughs. Yeah. That was probably a lot of the uncertainty of touring wrapped into one thing. Yeah, but that was just one day. May, sure. Like, like, but... I, like it was because I didn't book all of those shows i don't know if i booked any of those shows i might have gotten the staten island show um but like we like so that stuff was all like like i think side one got a show and greg our agent got a bunch of the shows and i got the staten island show and like that was just something i wanted to do my entire life like i've kind of just wanted to go to all five boroughs in one day um just to do it like i've lived in new york for fucking 18 years pretty much like so like whenever I was in bands and stuff, it was just kind of like, I don't know. I always had that idea that it would be a fun thing. And all my bands were kind of too, uh, had too many members to really pull it off. Um, and also like, I don't know, like, I don't know how Bond the Music Industry would have done that. I Maybe we could have, but like, it was never a thing that really made too much sense. Um, and then we had like three people in the band at the time for my band, it was like me, John and Tim. And it was just like, yeah, three of us could get on a train and get on a ferry and like get, get on, you know, go around and do it all. Yeah. That was fun. That was like, but that was also like, that was so much energy that by the end of that, like I kind of thought I was going to feel really drained. And I was like at the end of that show, but then like 30 minutes later, it was just like adrenaline, like Mm. coursing through all of our veins. It just like, sitting at the bar up the street from my house until like 4.30 in the morning drinking, just like, fuck, I'm never going to bed. Oh my God, oh my God. We just played five shows, you know? I couldn't dream of it. I couldn't dream of it. TV stars don't care about who you are. first album of 2018 i yeah i think so i think i might have gotten beat i think uh i think either uh fuck sydney gish i think is her name uh 
whatever her name is, which I hope that's it, because her record's really good. I can't believe I'm like blanking on her name right now. Um, but I think she put out a record like 1201 or something. She wished me a happy like happy uh, album birthday release day co-release day thing on Twitter or whatever. It's like we're in this together. Uh, yeah, which yeah, and uh, and that Scallops Hotel. Uh, that record came out New Year's Day too. I was surprised. I really thought I was going to be the only one. I was like, mm-hmm. of course I'm not the only one. Like people put out music all the damn time. You think I'm going to be the only person who puts something out on New Year's Day? You know. When did you start working on the the process of getting the album ready? What do you mean? I guess like with with wrapping things up as much as you could wrap them up from the previous album and writing, recording, getting all this planning together. Well, I mean, I start I start writing like right away basically you know like i i don't i try to not stop writing uh and like uh that doesn't mean i sit down and go like i gotta write today or anything like that but just basically like if if the mood strikes me or whatever like i try and chase it Mm -hmm. uh i don't really try and uh keep myself locked down to like album cycles or anything like that like i don't like once it starts, once like I have a bunch of a bunch of songs and they start coming together and I start like feeling, like what it seems like the vibe of the record will be, then I kind of start thinking about that stuff. So like I don't know, I like I was writing a bunch of stuff um, from like, so say Worry was probably demoed and finished in like February of whatever year that was, two thousand sixteen, I think two thousand seventeen maybe, uh, and so from there on two thousand sixteen. Yeah. So like from so from like our Europe tour in 2016, I started like trying to like be able to write better on the road. And uh, a lot of these songs kind of came from their starts got happening there. And then like, you know, kind of collected stuff. And I was really busy and on the road all the time. It was kind of hard to really process stuff. And then, uh, you know, and then like the lead up to the election and then the election was just all like a lot to process so and i have two friends who have a really nice double wide trailer in the middle of the mountains like secluded uh and i had like a couple of weeks off of doing things and i was just like hey could i just go up there and like write and demo and they're like yeah so mm-hmm. that's kind of like where the i feel like the whole vision which i hate describing it like that but whatever uh the artistic the artistic artistic vision vision. but it all like kind of really started making sense to me as like as like a thing you know as like a creature basically Mm -hmm. uh when i was up there and i kind of like knew what pieces could turn into actual things and how to turn them into them and just having like time away from all this stuff that was stressing everybody out you know um and not just, or not even time away from that stuff because I was still reading the news, but just time away from all the chatter about it, which kind of, for me, was like, I don't know. You either have like fucking like straight up racist thinking it's okay to be white supremacist on the internet, like thinking that being a white supremacist isn't a big deal, which is fucking crazy. Uh, and then you also have people who agree with you who are just like kind of annoying about it, and you're just like, I don't know where, how to even think about how I feel about any of this because, like, e- like every, like, like big shock, everybody can't put this into 140 characters. You know what I mean? Um, so, like, getting away from that and just being able to like process it on my own 
while I was also like kind of processing all this stuff that I had written and trying to put it all together like that's kind of when it started making sense and like you know a majority of the record was kind of demoed and figured out up there and then even when I left there it was still just like kind of writing like I think nine out of ten got written like right after I left there like it was just like felt very creatively inspiring to have some space which yeah. uh it's a shame because I don't think we really live in a world that allows that rewards giving yourself space anymore like if you take space or you take time to process anything like you kind of uh you know you miss out on the conversation because the conversation moves so fast and there's so mm. many important things that it's just like it's fucking crazy man With all your projects and bands going back, when was the first time that you think a website or some aspect of the internet was really key in what you were doing musically? Well, uh... Like maybe a precursor uh, to, like you did this new album with Bandcamp really heavily. Like, well, on the music industry was like just right out the gate was just like an internet thing, you know? It was just me like writing songs in my bedroom and putting them up like putting the songs up on MySpace and then realizing like, okay, MySpace lets you have four songs up there. I want to make a record. I'm just going to put it online for free and have people download it. And like posting it on like the Connecticut ska message board. And like, that was like, the, that was the first thing was when I started doing that and just like telling people about it. And I was, I was surprised with how well people responded to it. Cause it seemed like a really new idea at the time, even though I know now I know that like, Max Levine Ensemble and Defiance Ohio were, were both doing that, and I'm sure a, ha a handful mm -hmm. of other bands were doing it too, but, like, it seemed like a really new thing, and that was just kind of, like... So I would, like, post these things on MySpace, but they'd also, like, have, like, really long, like, anxious, like, journal entries that came along with it, because, like, early on the music industry was really me just, like, fucking putting everything about myself out there i think because asob spent so my band before it spent so long like working on this one record that like i felt like i like had like i just had so much i wanted to make and wanted to say and like by putting it out for free on the internet it was like there was no limitations i could just do whatever I wanted and I could just put it out whenever I wanted. And that kind of made me excited about putting out the record the way that we did it now. Cause it's mm -hmm. still on quote unquote records, which is the thing that I started with Bond the music industry, which is a free label or a donation if you want to label, but it's almost honestly hard to find the donation links on there because I just didn't want to like shut that down anybody's throat. And like we put it out like fucking like three weeks after it was done being recorded. Like, that's kind of the shit that I'm way into. I'm mm -hmm. really into, like, the immediacy of stuff. I think that that's really fun. I think it's, uh, you know, hard to do that in, like, traditional album cycles and stuff. So, yeah, that, like, doing that, like, informed my entire life and everything that I've done. Yeah. Since, you know? Yeah, and l luckily just when you were starting to be of the age to, like, start being in bands and putting stuff out, that was around the time when those sites were just starting to pop up. Yeah, yeah. It was really, like early-ish days of MySpace. Uh, I remember I remember Friendster starting and just being like, 
whoa, this is insane. I could like stay in touch with all these people <laughs> I met on tour. Wow, this is amazing. I love Friendster. I miss Friendster. Mm-hmm. Friendster was the shit. Did you do Pure Volume? Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, I did. I did mp3.com, dude. I did all those okay. things. Uh, but yeah, Pure Volume. Uh, we, yeah, we had a Pure Volume. Uh, I feel like we put like an unreleased song or two unreleased, like my band ASOB like put up two unreleased songs in Pure Volume and didn't tell anybody about them. <laughs> like we're just mm-hmm. like putting out there. It's like if they, if you find us, you'll find that uh, there are songs you haven't heard by us up on here. It'd be like, oh, what the hell, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting because you must from your vantage point, starting with ASOB, you've sort of seen like this beginning of like independent music distribution on the internet start, and you've followed and done your music across really all of it until now. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't like an intentional thing. I didn't yeah, really yeah. feel like I was like uh, riding any waves. It was just kind of like uh, what was there. Yeah, it was like what what's the like? Oh, there's like a it's you could record your music on a laptop, and it's like you could give it to anybody who wants to hear it for free. To me, that's just kind of like I don't know. I, I really uh, I I got into punk because like just straight up like you know capitalism and commercialism like kind of like drives me nuts it makes me feel anxious and stressed and i don't like it and i got into punk because it seemed like it was against that and uh it was really exciting to find an avenue that seemed like okay so i could just like have a job and then i could also do this and give it all out for free and it doesn't matter if we tour or not because it's just all there and like it doesn't have to become a whole like machine you know uh which is really exciting and i think i think that still is really exciting you know like i the the fact that like i can not if i want to i could just never tour again and like you know indulge my fucking hermit self and like hide away somewhere in the mountains and, and just, just put like, out band put out music albums. if i want to like the fact that that's there like makes me feel more comfortable being a musician because you know you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know that you don't have to be a part of the thing if you don't want to. Yeah, you don't have to be a part of the system. You're not bound to that, of, like, yeah. touring and showing your face out in public. and. Yeah, which is, like, I like again, I like touring, obviously. I think that's very clear. I like playing shows. <laughs> like, we tour all the time. But, like, you know, I think any – I don't know. I don't know if it's true, but for me, I de- there's definitely a part of me that is, like, you know, fucking doesn't want to see anybody sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How is it you first found punk and just had that discovery? Um, 
I well, I found out about like punk music from like Green Day and The Offspring, okay. and then reading like their thank yous and seeing what bands were on Epitaph and seeing what bands were on Lookout, and kind of like following that. And then uh, it's like a handful of things, you know. Like I had, I had like one or two friends who showed me cool stuff, uh, but I was never like I wasn't friends with like the punks in my high school. Like I wanted to be friends with them, but they were like. <laughs> way cooler than me and they could all skate and i was like a chubby kid who was bad at everything so it was just like kind of tough and which is weird because like i felt like punk was the music for me as a chubby kid who was bad at everything you know i feel like there's that's what punk is fucking for um and i think uh i think like finding let's take to operation ivy like in my friend's basement while like i think they were upstairs like like drinking or doing or like doing something just like some weird some not something weird but like either doing drugs or drinking or something that like i just was not was not me mm-hmm. you know at the time especially uh and i like went to his basement and saw an operation ivy cd it was like oh yeah that's the band that green day covered and i remember just hearing their version of knowledge and be like whoa this sounds kind of bad um and then like but still listening to all of it and then just be like wait this is the best thing I've heard in my entire life and I've never heard anything like this. And like reading the lyrics and just being like, Oh my God, like this is how I feel. Um, and then just stealing that CD from my friend and listening to it nonstop, like forever and ever and ever and ever, you know, I think that's kind of like, like that and a combination of that and like finding out that there were, that even if I couldn't go see Biohazard, there were bands in Long Island that sounded like Biohazard that I could go see. Uh, and that, that's how I found out about, like, you know, like, underground scenes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, like, getting into ska and, like, finding out that, like, you and your shows, you and your friends can, like, book shows and, like, you can meet people from... Because Long Island is, like, every town is, like, really small and really but it's all like kind of one big town. Like every town is right up against each other. There's not like space in the highway between them or anything. Like everything's just like there, there, smack, 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 smack. So like, you know, like we became, I became friends with like some people from Freeport, which is the town next to me. And then like those friends in Freeport, my friend Joe had a friend named Chris who went to like the Catholic school. And then he like had buddies from the North shore and like, it's kind of like you realize like you could all meet each other through this other thing. So it's weird. I think like I originally thought like, yeah, I got to find, uh, I got to find people in my high school who like punk, but it turned out that the people who in my high school like punked, like that was, they, it, it just wasn't, it just wasn't, uh, I don't know. We weren't like enemies or anything like that, but we didn't like fucking hang or anything, you know, like I had to, I, I feel like I had to find like, more weirdo anxious kids than mm. I had to find punks. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny how even outsider music can seem like a cool thing and in in, in and of that can make you feel like you're not cool enough to like enter into it. Yeah, when, like, I, and it's, it seems like it's very much weirder outs, weirdo outsider music, yeah. And then you realize like, wait, no, it's meant for outsiders. Like, no, I have a place in this. Yeah, it's this like weird, uh, this weird combo of... Uh, like it's music f- made by weirdos for other weirdos, but then that makes it cool. So then you have like cool record store guy mm-hmm. telling you that you're a dipshit because you like 
big wig and 30 foot fall which are these just like random punk bands that i like growing up they're like oh you don't know anything because you don't like the buzzcocks and i'm just like i don't know the buzzcocks sound funny to me which <laughs> and like but now like having like kind of digested a lot of punk i i understand why they're saying that buzzcocks are one of the best fucking bands ever uh but like i don't know people really don't let you go at your own pace with weirdo outsider music and they really shame you for liking shit that's not cool. Like I used to really like corn. And like when somebody like told me that Corn to Marilyn Manson weren't punk bands, like it just like <laughs> crushed my world. I was like, wait, this all is the same thing, you know? Yeah. What was what was the record store? Was there a big one for you? Uh probably Slip Disc and Valley Stream was a big record store for me. And then as I got older, there was Empire Discs, which was like by Roosevelt Field Mall in Long Island, and they would have shows there and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and there was a tower that like was like a big awesome thing, and uh, I feel like, and that was also like by like the shopping center or the mall or whatever. So like when my parents would have to go up there, like I'd go to Tower Records or I go to Nobody Beats the Wiz, and like you know I was like anything in the Billboard Top 200. It was funny that we're doing a fucking Billboard podcast, but this is what I remember. Uh, this is great synergy or something uh but like anything the billboard top 200 nobody beats the whiz was 11.99 and then every other cd was 12.99 um so it was like cheap enough that like i could like recycle cans and stuff and like get you know get dookie um and then like uh eventually when i got old enough i'd take the bus to slip disc in valley stream and just like look at everything I'd, like look at seven inches and vinyl and seven seven inch vinyl and regular vinyl were just so fucking cheap then that it was just like yeah my parents had a record player and i was like yeah i'll i'll get this uh like no redeeming social value seven inch it costs like four bucks i got four bucks you know yeah when we were talking about that string of internet ways of putting up music since the very beginning i was thinking like also on the flip side you watching over the years the ebb and flow of interest in vinyl that must be kind of a trip yeah uh yeah i don't know i it just makes me think about bitcoin and now i uh i've like lost like twelve thousand bucks at the last month because <laughs> i got in really early and that it was really high and i was like oh shit i'm just gonna ride this out and now it seems like it's going down which is fucking stressful but yeah knocking on wood hopefully that doesn't happen um but uh like uh yeah i i was just so excited to have a record on vinyl it's weird because bond the music industry like my whole plan from the beginning was just like no merchandise ever no records no shirts no nothing we'll tour and we'll ask for gas money and we'll ask for food and then we'll go home and we'll go back to work you know um and then my buddy Flood offered to put out one of our records on vinyl, and then I was just like, oh, shit, I didn't even know that was a possibility. That's so cool. All right, I guess we'll make vinyl. And then it was kind of a slippery slope. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's I think it's cool that, like, you can make a vinyl record now. I think it's cool that, like, if you're a small band, you could, you could like, there's ways that you could get enough together and get, like, you know, discounts at United and, like, you know, get your like 500 records on mixed vinyl and it costs, it costs like 1200 bucks or something, but like you can figure it out and like make your own jackets and shit. I think that that's cool. Like beats, beats CDRs for sure. Cause they used to like flake off and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and like even pressing CDs. I feel like wherever like my band press CDs when I was a kid, 
was not a place that pressed CDs for anybody professional. It was just like <laughs> the jankiest job in the fucking world, you know? Yeah, forgetting post-ready for New Year's spur the moment, or somewhat spur the moment, that must be sort of a challenge in getting the vinyl ready. Yeah, well, the vinyl's not out. Vinyl's okay. going to be out in the whole... Well, the vinyl's definitely going to be out in the middle of March. I'm hoping we get some copies for like our February tour. But that was like... That was the thing that I was like, whatever, vinyl won't be out. I want the record to be out on New Year's Day. Uh, and the only time we could record it is December. So that's just how it's going to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of just having it out for free on New Year's Day was the most important thing. And I feel like, uh, you know, I don't, it seems like nobody's stressing too hard about waiting for the vinyl. Like I think about, I think about uh, the last Kendrick Lamar record a lot and like how that was rolled out. And I thought that, that was really cool. And I thought it was a really good record. And I thought it was cool that like he seemed to make a lot of really bold, non-traditional choices with a record that was so fucking good um, that it made it, it made me less afraid to try doing stuff that was, you know, kind of, yeah. weird, you know, that damn, like, damn didn't way. suffer that, because of the vinyl out. <laughs> Frank Ocean isn't, isn't suffering because he puts out like, 30 copies of Blonde out once every five years, you know, he's still doing fine. So, you know, seeing people like that do things the way that they do things uh, is definitely like inspiring to be like, okay, yeah, you could, you could fucking do anything, you know? Yeah. After doing uh, the previous album with Psy One Dummy, what brought you to uh, Polyvinyl for this album? Um, I, they were interested and I, I'm a big fan of Polyvinyl. Like, it's just that simple. It was like, I, was I was just going to put it out on my own and just put it out for free on the internet and then be like, okay, vinyl will be later, be available eventually. Like, I knew I had a bunch of work to do with Craig of the Creek. So I was like, to me, it was either put this record out right away when it's done, put it out for free, like whatever happens, happens. But I got work to do anyway. So if we don't do like the traditional like touring press stuff, like it's fine. It'll be... Like, I kind of, in my mind, was imagining it would be kind of like Mutations by Beck, which is just like this record that I don't feel like he did a lot of stuff for. And it was just like yeah. there in the world, you know? And like Midnight Vultures was like huge, all kinds of tons of shit. Odelay was huge, all kinds of tons of shit. But Midnight, but, uh, but um, Mutations was just like in the middle of that. And that was kind of a little bit of another like thing that was like, okay, yeah, maybe do something like that, you know? Um, and then, like, it turned out Polyvinyl was interested. And it was just like, well, I would be a fucking idiot to not try and do this. Not, like, at, le- at the very least, explain to them, like, what the plan is for this record and see if they'd be down to do the vinyl. Um, and so I did, and they were, like, super into it and didn't didn't get scared off by it at all, which was a shock to me. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've been doing this so long, but it seems like so many new fans like got excited and started taking notice with worry like yeah. from your vantage point is that kind of crazy yeah it's completely crazy i don't know how to deal with it like it's <laughs> either like there's days there it's mostly like days where it's just like it seems like the best thing in the world when we're on tour it's just like holy shit this is awesome but also like i i'm a person who does not it's weird because I, I think I function well under pressure, but I don't like putting that pressure on myself. And especially I don't like doing it with music. Like music is a fucking sacred thing to me. Like it's the thing that like gets like my bad bullshit out of my brain so I could be a human to other people in the outside world. And uh, 
and it truly is that and which is why like i you know i do stuff for free because like i'm just doing it because i have to do it i'm not doing it because i'm trying to be like a rock star or any shit like that um so when like more attention comes to me uh sometimes it like Sometimes it feels scary, you know, and uh, I feel bad that it feels scary because it's like all the things that I've wanted to do, you know, since I was young. It's just like, you know, uh, like having to I don't know. I just don't want to fuck it up. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to be bad. I don't want to like I just like I don't want to let anybody down, you know, because for me, like bands that I liked growing up and and. I've noticed that like the people who go to shows, the people I've spoken to are like really into it. It means a lot to them, which is sick because it means a lot to me too. Um, but at the same time, like I don't, I don't know if I have the fucking confidence to be a person who's worth somebody believing a lot in, you know? And that's something I really think I need. I like trying very hard to overcome because that's stupid. Like it's, that's fucking, that's just like my like, depression and my bullshit like playing tricks on what my reality is which is that i worked hard at something for 15 years and now good things are happening <laughs> like i i need to like start to become i'm trying i'm trying my best to like be able to look at the good and not get so you know not feel guilty every hour of the day because i have to like look after my voice and i can't like talk to people at every <laughs> show which is just such a stupid thing to like feel bad about you know yeah like fr from my vantage point seeing your success over the like past two years or so it's uh, funny and, and also it's funny because like we're talking about like a good thing happening you know and like it's annoying that my brain turns it into that shit but anyway <laughs> sorry to interrupt <laughs> It seems like, from my vantage point, it's more like websites writing about you or magazines writing about you or just yeah. like seeing more people on Twitter getting excited about your music. Yeah. From your vantage point, what are you seeing that's like, wow, I wasn't seeing this eight years ago? Well, it's that for sure. It's people being so excited. It's, it's like, I think for me, talking through it now, I think that one of the things that uh, I'm trying to come to terms with is that there's a point where it becomes too much to have like one-on-one -on -one communication with people who are excited, uh, which is never a spot I ever thought I'd be in, but it's just kind of like, and it sucks. Like, I don't want to be that person because it's so like, I see it and I'm just fucking thrilled. I can't believe like I'm, I like, I don't know. Every time I'm done with a record, I think it's a, I think it's a good record. That's why I put it out. And it's weird that like with worry, like some, like it struck a different chord and it was exciting because I felt like I took chances, uh, especially lyrically on that record. Like I went to places that I don't usually go to. Like I was trying very hard to write outside of my comfort zone. Um, and the feeling that that was met with like with positivity and with like good stuff was like a great it's a great feeling. Like it, it makes it makes me feel less alone. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's awesome. It's cool. I still, but also like, I don't know. I like, I don't know how, I don't know what's going to fucking happen. Like, I don't like, I just kind of expect it to all come crashing down eventually. So maybe I don't, maybe I don't get like too, too worked up over it. I just try to get worked up over the shit I could control, which is like, warm up your stupid voice, idiot, and try and play well and don't drink before the show because you'll play better. Have a beer after the show. It's fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just kind of focus on trying to play good and try to write songs that I think are interesting, you know? Yeah, it's really that simple. Like, 
have recently have you found yourself in maybe like just places or social situations because of your music recently we're like wow wow what am i doing here like this is weird like in a negative way or in a, in in a like good a... way just maybe like i'm thinking about like playing pitchfork yeah right? for it's sure like playing that festival well that set you know what like straight up i went into that i went into pitchfork with like a significant amount of baggage i guess i don't think that's the right word but like I had my fucking preconceived notions of what a festival like that would be like, especially what Pitchfork Fest would be like, because like, you know, like, first of all, I cannot believe that like we're getting like good reviews on Pitchfork. That's something I never saw coming in my life Um, because I remember them reviewing Maybe I'll Catch Fire and like talking shit about Asian man and being like fucking Asian man's my favorite thing in the world, you know? So I think I went in there with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder and then like, immediately like everybody there was so nice and it was just like wait everybody here just likes music and has strong opinions about music and i like music and i have strong opinions about music so maybe like this maybe this shit's on me you know what i mean uh so yeah it like it wasn't a weird situation it was great dude i was getting free food all fucking weekend getting free food free alcohol like Getting to watch Danny Brown for free. Getting who well, I've never seen Danny Brown. Like getting to see fucking Danny Brown. Like getting to see Angel Olsen. Getting to see Mitski for the first time. Like getting to watch uh, like Vince Staples was fucking sick. Getting to see Solange. Yes, like yeah. LCD sound system. Like bands I just straight up can't afford to go see or don't have time to go see or like I always miss. Like you know I don't know Solange doesn't seem like she plays that much. She's like she just boasts. Mostly, basically, whatever it is, uh, plays like festivals, and I don't fucking go to festivals. I can't afford that shit. Like, uh, so it's it was really cool to like be there, and then like, you know, to kind of feel accepted there, to not have people to have like when we were like setting up on stage, we were like first band in the morning, and like we saw people actually out there to watch us because we just assumed we were gonna play to, like a hundred people, and like ever would be at the side stage like wait like either just watching vagabond or waiting for the next person to like do their thing uh and like uh yeah like to be met with a positive reaction was just like really surprising or really cool and showed me that i should stop being such a, i shouldn't fucking cast judgment on people who just like music you know what i mean you don't want to be like those two cool punks in high school yeah exactly and it's hard to not become those two <laughs> cool punks in high school because like fucking diy punk is super cool house shows are super <laughs> cool and you're definitely like in that this world that like is the fucking best in a lot of ways. Like the best bands are playing the best shows at basements and nobody knows about it. And it's just kind of like, like I, I super miss being in that world. It's just not practical for us anymore. Like if we played a basement now, it'd just be like, you know, I'm sure on the way back down, we'll play basements again. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, I think that like I came up in that world. I had such a chip on my shoulder. I always have such a ska chip on my shoulder for anybody that's who talks extra, shit about ska. That's an extra big chip. Which like <laughs> everybody talks shit about ska. So I just always got a chip on my shoulder about everything. It's just kind of like got to lose that shit because that shit's on you. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's I don't know. It's nice. I hope I don't know. They, it's like, again, completely baffling to me that like our records have gotten good reviews on pitchfork like it's just like 
it's cool. Like you see stuff open up in a way that it hasn't. So it's like, it's neat. It's something I really appreciate a lot, you know? But you are going to have to take them to task for those alkaline trio reviews. They're not up anymore. Look scrubbed at Scrubbed or those scrubbed? I yeah. think they're scrubbed. I don't know if the Travis Morrison reviews scrubbed. The Trav, the famous Travis Morrison zero. And I was like a big dismemberment plan fan. And like, uh, yeah, I was bummed about that review. Uh, but whatever, I was still reading Pitchfork, so, like, whatever, fucking throwing stones from a glass house, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, like, uh, I, n- I don't think that Alkaline Trio one's up, because I always want to, like, find it and, like, send it to Mike Park, because we just mm-hmm. both fuck with each other all the time, and I feel like that would be really good ammo to fuck with Mike. Uh, so, yeah, I want to find it and send it to him. Yeah, because they're, they're... Although, I don't know, it was mean. It might, might, might actually hurt. It might be too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking with, like, Asian men, with, like, even the members of Alkaline Trio, there's some ska roots in Oh, there. yeah. Like, Dan, Dan's Dan Adriano yeah. certainly has a checkered past. He's in <laughs> slapstick, dude. And, uh, and Skiba's got an Operation Ivy tattoo. So, you know. And Derek Grant was in the Suicide Machines. Derek Grant played drums on the best ska punk drumming record of all time, Destruction by Definition. Like, one of the best ska punk records of, like, that era mm-hmm. and, like, is the best drumming ever of that genre, I feel like, you know? And that was Derek Grant from Alkaline Trio. Wonder what I was amazing this way. Maybe as a kid your toes are taken away. So toys with you to this day, you better break your yeah, working with Dan was wild. That was like before I even before We Cool came out. So like, I didn't. I had like no clout at all. I had no business doing that shit, except that like the except whatever my abilities are, however good or bad they might be. But me and Dan really hit it off. I like him a lot. I miss playing music with him. Yeah, what was it like going into work with someone like that who you like thought was so awesome and you know? He turns out to be a piece of shit, so it doesn't (laughs) matter. No, I mean, uh, you know, Mike Park puts people in situations where that tension is just Mm. cut. Like, we were both sleeping in the basement of Asian Man Records, and uh, Mike, like, got Dan a futon and found a futon for free for me that had a hole in it. And, like, Mm. the first thing that we did was just, like, yo, it's freezing down here. We got to go to Fry's and buy a space heater. And so, like, the first thing we're doing is, like, shopping for a space heater together. Just, like, I don't know. I mean, with I I know that I know that people are people and musicians are just people. And I just I know that if I'm working with somebody like he's definitely the most high profile person that I think I've worked with. Like, I guess Smith Street Band in Australia, too. But, like, we've been buddies for a long time. So it wasn't really the same thing. Like, Dan was somebody's music that, like, informed me. Um so it's just like, I don't know. I could have either gone into it and been a super fan and kind of been annoying, but I know that like, <laughs> I know that Dan wouldn't want that, and I don't. And I want uh, my job is to help Dan make the best record he wants to make. So I was just like, all right, I can't do that shit, you know. And I have like my first phone call with him and like shook off the butterflies. Just like, all right, cool. And then like. You know, he's sending demos and I'm sending structural ideas and just like, you know, that's the thing. Like for me, like producing that record, like it came down to like the first practice. He's like, I got this riff and I got this other thing, but I don't know what to do. And I was like, all right, yo, check it out. Like think about it for like five seconds. Be like, check out this fucking structure. This be tight. You know what I mean? And he was just like, whoa, 
how do you just do that? I was like, I don't know. It's because I'm a psycho, and this is the only thing I think about all the time. <laughs> so it's like asking somebody who studied calculus forever, like, how to solve a math equation. Like, not like that, but it's just kind of like, I don't know, because it's a fucking, because you're writing a good song, and if it's just a matter of, like, how to make that song feel represented properly with the dynamics of it, like, yeah, dude, I got you, you know? Um so, yeah, it was kind of like we were just immediately working well together. And he's such a fucking goofball. He's such a funny person. And he's really nice and didn't ever make me feel like I at that first day when I was talking about that, he was like, yo, dude, you you're like actually a producer. Like I was just kind of like that was just a nice thing to hear, because up until that point, I was like, I don't like I've done stuff, but I just don't like I don't know. I, I don't really even know. Like. I uh, mixed a record where somebody made me feel like I didn't belong there. Um, and it fucking sucked. It really shook my confidence a lot. It really made me feel like... And I, I don't think that person meant to make me feel like I didn't belong there. Like, they're a ni- nice person, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just trying to do the job, which at the end of the day, you're trying to, like, capture a fucking, like, fairy with like a with like by blowing a bubble and catching the fairy in the bubble and making like this perfect thing and that's nearly impossible you know so there's a lot of like push and pull that goes on with every record and you're never fully satisfied with anything but like there is an instance that like i like thought i was doing a good job and then i got kind of put in my place a little bit and uh it shook me and made me feel like, oh, maybe like this isn't the thing I should be doing because I don't want to act the way that I'm supposed to act as a producer. Like I just kind of want to try and make the songs good, and I want I'm gonna like fight for my ideas and tone because I think records sound terrible now, and I want the records I make to not sound terrible. Um, and uh, yeah, Dan kind of gave me that confidence back to be able to do that, which is really nice. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know if I've ever told him that i was probably just like oh that's nice of you to say he's like yeah whatever bro you know well we're gonna get this podcast up we're gonna tweet it oh, dan Jesus. yeah don't tweet it dan don't tweet a pitchfork oh we got we got a long line of pull quotes <laughs> <laughs> pull yeah, quotes timestamps tweets perfect yeah <laughs> pitchfork individual writers for pitchfork in 1998 yeah yeah perfect yeah fine fine then i'm sorry already in advance obviously like I don't care. <laughs> yeah. It was like, what was it? 8.2 was the last one. Yeah. When it was 8.0 before, you're, you're going up. Yeah, I'm going to get it. If, if the next one's good, 8.4. Or what if it's an 8.1? It's probably going to be like a 4. It's, it's like, I feel like history shows, like, the next one's going to be the pile of shit. So getting ready to make a big steam. Got to have positive thinking. Big steaming pile of shit for the next one. <laughs> No, nah, next one's like already. I'm already like seven songs in on the next. Yeah, one. I'm. I'm sure you are. Yeah, it's just like I don't. Like I was saying before, like I don't. I'm not fucking about trying to like follow the thing. I'm just trying to like when the songs come, try and try and chase them. And when you got a bunch of them that seem to make sense together, fucking figure out how figure out how the rest put in the rest of the puzzle pieces. Get some. I don't know. Get some color and paint that thing. You know. Yeah. So it sounds like already in the thick of things going forward. We talked about a lot. You know, we talked about the Cartoon Network stuff, about touring a little bit. Anything else like coming up for you this year you want to shout out? Or no, just, just stuff you're excited about? Uh, Antarctica Vespucci, we're going to finish a record 
soon, uh, and that's going to be out in the summer. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, if anybody's listening to this and considering seeing us on tour, and then you're like, no, I'll see him next time. Like, yo, my schedule's crazy. Fucking see us this time. I don't know, like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to keep this up of, like, touring while I'm scoring a fucking television <laughs> show. It was a very uh, brazen thing to take on. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Check us out. Hopefully, we'll be good live. And then if we're not, you know, my bad. You don't have to see us again. It's cool. So yeah, there it is. That was a little Suicide Machines playing us out of that episode. I had a blast talking with Jeff. I hope you enjoyed that one. Jeff, I hope you enjoyed it yourself. Post, the new album is out now on Polyvinyl Records. Jeff is going on tour. You don't need me to tell you where to find all that stuff, I'm sure. For this show, old episodes, we've been doing this for a while, a couple years now. There's a lot of old episodes I think you'd be really into if you came here for the Jeff Rosenstock interview. Last year, let's see, I think you would be into our interview with Lauren D. from Warriors, our interview with Charlie Bliss, Front Bottoms episode, Tom Mullen from Washed Up Emo. Um, so how do you find those? Well, search for hashtag Alternative Facts. That's the name of the podcast. Search Alternative Facts in iTunes podcast app on your phone however it is that you find podcasts out in the world and while you're there subscribe to the show get it automatically every week without having to go download it each individual time and uh any kind of feedback is super helpful i put a lot into this show i this is probably my favorite thing that i do at billboard i love my job here there's a lot of things that i find very exciting but this podcast is probably number one so really i appreciate all feedback from you guys Star ratings on iTunes, super helpful. And any and all feedback that you write in, or more directly, you can always hit me up on Twitter. C Payne on a plane is the handle. Chris Payne, C H R I S P A Y N E, if you just want to search the name. I'm always just throwing out little teasers on what I'm doing with the show, little hints, stuff that's going on in my world. And uh, it's a good way to keep up with me if you want to get me feedback that way. However, it's all super appreciated. So. What else? That's about all I have for you guys. Coming up, new episodes for this season. Um, I've already recorded a couple. I can, I'll, I'll say what they are. I interviewed Tonight Alive. That'll be next week's episode. And uh, just earlier this week, interviewed Chris Caraba, Dashboard Confessional. Talked about a lot of stuff with him. That'll be another future episode. So until next time, I'll catch you next Thursday. Peace out. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.